All right, we invite you back to 1 Kings, the 10th chapter, and we'll read the same 13 verses, which is the text for our study on Solomon and the Queen. 1 Kings chapter 10, reading at verse 1, and we had urge you again, even though we've read this many times, note the things that are said that are peculiar and particular to both Solomon, whom we have covered, and the queen, whom we will cover beginning today. And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon, concerning the name of the Lord, she came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train and camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. And when she was come to Solomon, she communed with him of all that was in her heart. And Solomon told her all her heart, all her questions. There was not anything hid from the king which he told her not. And when the queen of Sheba had seen all Solomon's wisdom and the house that he had built and the meat of his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers and their apparel and his cupbearers and his ascent by which he went up unto the house of the Lord, there was no more spirit in her. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Howbeit I believed not the words until I came, and mine eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants which stand continually with before thee, and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel, because the Lord loved Israel forever. Therefore made he thee king to do judgment and justice. And she gave the king an hundred and twenty talents of gold and of spices, very great store, and precious stones. There came no more such abundance of spices as these which the queen of Sheba gave to King Solomon. And the navy also of Hiram that brought gold from Ophir brought in from Ophir great plenty of almond trees and precious stones. And the king made of the almond trees pillars for the house of the Lord. And for the king's house, harps also and psalteries for singers. There came no such almond trees nor were seen unto this day. And King Solomon gave unto the queen of Sheba all her desire whatsoever she asked besides that which Solomon gave her of his royal bounty. So she turned and went to her own country, she and her servants. We've been looking at this in the form of a similitude of, of course, Solomon being a similitude, comparative resemblance of Christ. And we finished that last week. Perhaps some more secondary or less significant things could be said, but we felt like leaving it at there and beginning with the queen today, who uh, we see as a similitude of sinners. The queen came to Solomon. Sinners come to Christ. Not all sinners that come to Christ in a manner of seeing, hearing, exposure to the gospel, believe. But the queen of Sheba here gives us numerous things that are said about her that show us what happens when sinners come to Christ and do believe and are blessed thereby. So that is the things we're going to be looking at now, our focus shifting to the queen of Sheba, who is a similitude of sinners. And I trust, again, if you as a Christian could see Christ clearly in Solomon, applying the words of Christ himself, that he is a greater than Solomon, 
but you could see the things we preach from Solomon and then apply them to Lord to the Lord Jesus, then I'm sure you've already been blessed. I certainly have. And likewise, as we see ourselves in the Queen of Sheba as sinners and the things that are said about her, so can we be blessed. So that's what we're going to be looking at as we continue in this series. The Bible says, we'll look at, and we will confine basically most of our thoughts to what's said in verse 1 about the Queen of Sheba heard the fame of Solomon and came. But first of all, Queen of Sheba, and uh, we'll just give you a little bit of information here so you won't have to wonder about it because what I'm going to give you is not conclusive anyway and if you want to wonder about it you can but there's really not a lot to wonder about Sheba well nobody knows where it is not conclusively there is debates still depending on who you listen to about where this queen was from where this country was located etc etc and the only thing that we really have biblically to complement her being the Queen of Sheba is a couple of things. And one of them is what the Lord himself said in Matthew 12 and 42 when he referred to as the Queen of the South. So that pretty eliminate, well eliminates three other directions. So uh, obviously you've got to go south somewhere of Jerusalem for this place called Sheba. Now there's two schools of thought on this. One is that it was in Ethiopia, and there's some individuals that make very great arguments about this. And the other argument is that it was in southern Arabia. And I doubt if you have a map in your Bible that goes that far south, so probably don't bother looking at this point. But you might just remember, if you have seen those maps, how that south of Jerusalem, as you go down, if you just go due south, you're probably going to end up on the Sinai Peninsula or just a little bit east of there. And that's where Mount Sinai was. Right below the Sinai Peninsula, where the Nile River comes, is that big, long Red Sea. Remember that? Okay, just get that in your mind and... And if you follow the Red Sea all the way down to where it empties into the Arabian Sea, well, down there toward the end on the left, which is on the continent of Africa, is Ethiopia. So it would be south kind of of Egypt, kind of southwest of Jerusalem, but that would be Ethiopia and would fit into south. And that's where some claim this was. So right at the bottom of the Red Sea, left-hand side, continent of Africa, Ethiopia, and that's where some claim this was. On the other side, of course, is the huge Arabian Peninsula that comes all the way down, and it ends down there adjacent from or across the Red Sea where it empties into the Arabian Ocean from Ethiopia. Southern Arabia is the other place that people tend to believe that this is where Sheba was. Bottom line is, it really don't matter, uh, you know, as far as what we're dealing with here. It's just a matter of geography. But one thing that is important is also, is this, that Jesus said she came from the uttermost parts of the earth. So Sheba was just not real close. And uh, so, uh, in fact, let me tell you, that, uh, that southern part of 
the Arabian Peninsula, the last thing down there is what we call, is labeled Yemen. Yemen. So it seems to me like my, from what I've read, the leaning would be that it was down in southern Arabia and Yemen uh, rather than Ethiopia because it seems like other things that are said about uh, the wealth and the merchandising thing would fit that area and the thing that that area has a reputation historically known for this spices that cannot be excelled anywhere else. So uh, from what little I've read, don't take that because that's my opinion, but it leans more in favor of southern Arabia or Yemen in that regard. Now when Jesus said it was the uh, uttermost parts of the earth, that is what we call an hyperbolic expression. And when something is a hyperbole or hyperbolic, it's what we would call an exaggeration, you know. Uh, and Jesus wasn't saying that because, and we can't accuse him of saying something that's untrue, but again, it's a figure of expression for emphasis, okay? Uh, the Bible says that the whole world came out to John the Baptist. Well, that's a hyperbolic expression. It wasn't everybody in the known world from all places all over the planet, you know. I mean, you know, it's just telling us that it, most of the people in general in that area came out to see him. So uttermost parts of the earth is hyperbolic, referring to that it was a long ways away, you know, in that regard. Uh, as far as Sheba, again, the word shows up numerous times in the Old Testament. It shows up, there's one verse of Scripture in Job, there's a few verses in Psalms, a couple, I believe, in Isaiah, Jeremiah once or twice, and then a few in Ezekiel. And all of these, usually, when you go and read those, if you do that and look them up, there's going to be a reference to either the wealth, uh, the gold, or the merchants and merchandise of Sheba. So it was a wealthy, rich, trading, merchandising place. And obviously we know that from the text by all the stuff that she brought from there. Okay? And again, the uttermost parts of the earth, if indeed, whether it was Ethiopia or Yemen, okay, they're again right across the Red Sea almost from one another depending on what part. Uh, she came a long ways. Either of those places. Uh, the distance... I looked up from Jerusalem down to Yemen, which would be pretty much the same if you went across the Red Sea to Ethiopia. 2,249 kilometers, which don't mean nothing to me. I don't do the metric very well. But 1,397 miles. So thirteen to 1,400 miles. Just think of that. And you're traveling a train with camels and all of this, and entourage, take a long time. It's a long ways. Let me give you something so it kind of can soak in, okay? Because I've wondered the same thing. Okay, I can look at it on a map, but it don't register, you know. If you went from El Paso, Texas, just about as due north as you could go till you hit the Canadian border, which is right on the border pretty close to like North Dakota, Montana, that's 1,370 miles. 
So that puts you in the ballpark. Uh, that gives you something comparative, doesn't it, to think about. So she came from a long ways from wherever Sheba was, from a land and a country that she was queen of, and a large train, entourage, not only of these camels when it says here, this great train with all the stuff, but there had to be an army of some sort along with her to protect that, traveling that far. So again, that's what we know about the queen and Sheba and so forth. And if you really get to reading on that, you can read a lot of crazy and ridiculous stuff about her and where she come from and what happened after and what her name was according to this bunch and that. But it's, it, you just get lost in it all and it doesn't matter. All right, let's look at the similitudes that it says about her, having gotten that out of the way. The first thing we want to notice, and we're going to go slow as we dissect it, is that it says the Queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon. And again, we're talking about sinners. And they're coming to Christ, their relationship to Christ, and etc. And so she heard of the fame of Solomon. And fame here, while we would think of fame as a noble reputation, a famous person, the word actually here just simply means a report or a hearing or what we would call the news. So literally, when she heard of the fame, we're literally, we would say it today, she heard of the news about Solomon. She heard a report about Solomon. Okay, so the news travels from somewhere, and again, probably because of the trading and travels of people of that day. So again, it doesn't mean, per se, that she heard of his fame, quote-unquote, she heard the news, which the news would then speak of the things concerning him in that regard. So it does not exactly what we think. All right, so she heard. Now, let's just pause right there and ask this question. We see what happened after she heard. She came and then all kinds of other things happened. And the conclusion is she was just tremendously not only impressed, but blessed by coming and this encounter with him, right? What if she hadn't heard? She'd have missed out on all that, right? And that's my point. We overlook this, I think, sometimes about what a blessing, what a privilege it is to hear the gospel. Amen. Just that exposure. And I would have you think about that. I just can't pass over this point without a good, with a good conscience without dealing with it. That anybody who hears about Jesus, which again is the gospel, is truly blessed. That's the best thing that can ever happen to a human being is to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do you agree? That's Bible. Because you know what? Everything else is going to pass away. But to hear about Jesus is to hear about the only real hope there is. To hear about the only one who can really do something for the human soul. 
The only one who can really give what He's promised to give. So again, whether the person believes Jesus or not, hearing about Jesus provides opportunity and hope beyond anything the world can provide. I mean, if you could hand somebody all the millions of dollars that exist in all the wealth of the world, I say, not dollars, that puts it in the wrong perspective. All the wealth of the world or the gospel of Jesus Christ, you would be doing them an injustice if you gave them the money. A grave injustice. Because it's going to stay here and they're going to leave here. But to leave here with faith in Christ (laughs) is to leave here with the greatest blessing and gift there is. So those who have heard about Jesus by divine providence are blessed whether they believe in Him or not. That's a blessing of God. That's the grace of God. That's the providence of God. And I have to mention this again. I know I think some of you have heard me heard this before, but it's been a long time. But I only I have only known of one instance in my life like this where people had heard in a distant way about Jesus and wanted to know more. And that was the work we support in Thailand many years ago. And I can say this with all my heart because I've sat and looked at the man, a brother in Christ, who told me this. And he's a faithful man and I trust him and I believe him. And he told me being over there that when he was in one of those villages in those mountains that are very remote and very isolated that told me an instance about another individual from another village way back in the mountain somewhere else came to this village and said, we have heard like the Queen of Sheba. We, he didn't say that, but like our story. We've heard about this Jesus and we'd like to know more. And that's the only instance in my life that I actually know of something that happened that I didn't have to be skeptical about. And so, of course, plans were made, and I forget the details now, about trying to get somebody over there to preach Jesus, just like they did in the New Testament. But again, this is how it begins, is it not? I mean, you hear about Jesus before you can ever believe in Jesus. And what a blessing and privilege it is. You could ask yourself, where would you be today if you'd never heard of Jesus? Well, I can answer that. Where are those that never have heard of Jesus? They went out of this world dead in trespasses and sins. Their sins unforgiven. And they're in the torments of the lake of fire even now in hell. You say, maybe you're overemphasizing this. I don't think so. Acts chapter 14 and verse 16 says this, Who in times past, referring to God, suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. And then it follows up, Nevertheless, He left himself, not Himself without witness, in that He did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. It was not God's will 
that the word of God go to all peoples of all times of all generations. He's referring to Gentile peoples here basically and generally in the Old Testament time period when the word of God, the prophets of God were sent only to the elect nation of God, the Israelites with few exceptions. And that scripture right there, while it is very sad, it is nevertheless God's will. If God had wanted to get the gospel to him, God would have got the gospel to him. But it pleased God to just let them go their own way. And their own way was a course of idolatry. And they perished in that idolatry without hope. This is what I mean. What a privilege it is where the gospel goes. When people can hear the gospel and hear the opportunity and the hope of that gospel. And let me add one other thing before we pass on. You know, we are engaged as a church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the carrying of that gospel. We have it on our door back there. Don't take it for granted every time you go out that door. That's our, that's our marching orders. That's our commission. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. What a privilege. Scripture says in Romans 10 and 15, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel and bring glad tidings. Right? That's a quote from Isaiah chapter 52 and verse 7. So while it is a blessing to hear it, it's a blessing to take it. And I'll say this to you. The greatest human destitution that there is, is not hearing the gospel. People are destitute of many things. Everybody is. But the greatest destitution or lack that anybody could have would be the Word of God. The Word of God. Now, I know most people in the world don't agree with that and wouldn't believe with me, but nevertheless, I'll be proven true one day on that. And as believers, you know that's true right now. Oh, earth, 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 hear the word of the Lord. What a privilege to share the word of God with other people. Now, she heard the news about Solomon, it says. Now, you can just imagine how news comes and knowing how news comes, the things she may have heard. How great he was, how wise he was, how this he was, how that he was. He did this, he did that. He built a temple to the Lord. It took seven years. I mean, there's all kinds of information, and we've already covered a lot of it in the previous messages about Solomon. So no telling what she heard or how accurate it may have been, but there was plenty to be heard about Solomon. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, lots of information. In fact, I would say to you, if you stop and think about it, considering who Solomon was and all we've said about him in the Bible revealed, he was the focal point of the known civilization over there that day. There was no bigger news in that day, was there, than Solomon. I mean, nobody had anything going on like what Solomon had going on. So, it was news that was getting out and getting abroad. But notice what the text says. What our text says right there in verse 1. She heard of the news or the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. It doesn't say she heard about how wise he was. It doesn't say she heard about how wealthy it was. Didn't hear about what a manager and economic and political figure and manager and all the other things. But concerning the name of the Lord. Now this is important, folks, and it makes a point that we need to adhere to. What's it talking about? Concerning the name of the Lord. She could hear so much about this man, 
But the thing that obviously stood out in this news was Solomon's spirituality or his religiousness or religion, if you want to call it that, his relationship with his God. Meaning his, again, religion, his spirituality, his devotion, his worship, his obedience, his dedication, his loyalty to what he believed. And of course, proving it by building a temple to his God that, wow, in that day and time would have stood out just like Solomon did. From the very gold and things and all the trees and everything else that was in it. Of all things, the text says concerning the name of the Lord. And I want to say this to you and me today, and we may step on, I may walk on my toes just like I walk on yours. But as with Solomon, the definitive thing about him was his relationship with God, so should it be with us. That hurts. I know it does. You go to a funeral, people can talk about all kinds of things about that person, right? There's only one thing matters. What was their relationship with God? Did they have a testimony? If they didn't, they're in hell. Did they know God? Did they worship God? Did they praise God? Did they sacrifice to God with their time, energy, money, attendance, devotion, worship? The definitive thing about God's people should always be their spirituality. How would you like to be remembered? A carpenter, a welder, a salesman, a mother, a what? What? How about a Christian? Well, I don't agree with what they believe, but I'll say one thing, they were dedicated to it. Hey, that's a great testimony if that's what... The unbelieving world says about you, that's a great testimony. Definitive. That's the word I want you to get right here, okay? The definitive thing about Solomon was his relationship with God. That's what it says. This is is what she heard that stood out. And it should be the most definitive thing about you and me. Not that he or she was a good this or good that or they had this or they had that or they did this or they did that. And you know, Jesus kind of said that, didn't he? When he said, your love for one another will define who you are. Didn't he? Didn't he? Matthew 13. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples in that you what? Love one another. The outstanding characteristic of God's people is that we love one another and love our fellow man. Love God first. Love one another. Love our fellow man. That's Jesus definitive of who we are and what we are. Don't claim it if you don't do it. So that just stands out. You may have read that and not thought anything about it, but that's important that what she heard concerning Solomon's relationship with his God is the thing particular and defines him. Well, based on that, it says, then she came. 
And it says to prove him with hard questions. This is in that, first of all, again, get it in your mind. She, like all sinners, heard. Then she came. And we could, we could chase this, and we're not going to chase it to a great degree, but I will give you references in the Gospels of how this played out in the life of Jesus the short time he was here. People heard, and then they came. Not everybody, but many. Many who came left, just like they came. But others came and were changed, like the queen was in her encounter with Solomon. But she heard and she came. Why did she come? Well, we have the text here that says to prove him with hard questions. Jesus' words in Matthew 12 and 42 say to hear the wisdom of Solomon. So you've got to put those two things together in order to answer that question. She came to prove him with hard questions and to hear the wisdom. And of course those intermingle, overlap, are similar, kind of the same thing in ways. But really, she tells us exactly what that means in verses 6 and 7. Drop down there and read it with me. In verses 6 she says, And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in my own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. Okay, there's the hearing about it, hearing the news that we've been talking about. Notice verse 7. Here's part of her confessional that begins here. Howbeit I believe not the words until I came Behold, the half was not told me. Thy wisdom and prosperity exceedeth the fame which I heard. So she heard and she came to prove him with hard questions and to hear his wisdom. But she didn't come believing what she heard. She came not believing what she heard. Several things are worth mentioning here that I believe are very important about every sinner that comes to Christ, regardless of how they leave and what they do with Christ. She was obviously curious about what she had heard. Can it be so? Can it really be so? I mean, we all relate to that, don't we? We hear news that's we can't compare anything to it or we haven't heard anything like it or we can't see anything like it and we begin with curiosity of it and then that can also an overlap into well I just don't know if that's possible skepticism can there really be a temple like that can there really be somebody as wise as that can it really be as big, as great, as whatever, as people say? Skeptic. And along with skepticism is doubt. Those two overlap. She says, I heard, but I didn't believe it. So she's confessing. She was curious. She was skeptical. And she doubted. And being unbelieving, she didn't have faith in what she'd heard. Now folks, what I've just described to you is you and me and all sinners. There's no sinner exclusive of the things I've just said. 
When you were lost and sinners that are lost now, if they hear the gospel, if they come to church or they read the Bible, they're going to be curiosity seekers, skeptics, doubters, but they're going to be unbelieving in any degree and mix and match of those things. That's the way sinners are. Man's fallen nature makes him that. The gospel is good news, right? But who hath believed our report? I mentioned it in Sunday school. This is a natural condition of sinners who are dead in trespasses and sin when the gospel or the Bible is exposed to their minds. And again, let me say, and I can prove this by the gospel accounts that we see of individuals coming to Christ. There were some that were great curiosity seekers more than they were skeptics, but they had skepticism. You can't, you can't just isolate these three things independent of themselves. There were others that were greater skeptics than they were curiosity seekers. And intermixed, there were others that heard it, saw it, and still doubted it, you know, in spite of the evidence, so forth and so forth. But again, the bottom line is, again, this is what it means to be faithless or unbelieving. Unbelieving and faithless. It comes from the same Greek root word. Faith, belief. Okay? Hebrews chapter 11 verse, or six, uh, 11 verse 6 says this. Remember this. Very important. Without faith, it is impossible to please Him, God, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Boy, there's a lot in that verse to be so simple and so elementary. Without faith, you can't please him. And if you're going to come, you've got to believe that he is. Well, she came to prove him to see if what she had heard was really what it was. And of course, our confession is it's more than I heard. <laughs> and that's the confession of every believer that comes to Christ. At the same time. So, the natural condition of sinners is just that. But, again, it's quite amazing to think about this variety of all of us as sinners with these combinations of doubt, uh, maybe even fear, skepticism, and yet curiosity in there. And those things God can even use to bring us to Christ. Let me give you a couple examples, can I? Uh, let me give you one in the Old Testament and New Testament of curiosity. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this first one. You might remember uh, Moses after he murdered the Egyptian and he went into Midian and he spent 40 years up there with his father-in-law herding, herding animals out there. The Bible says in Genesis, Exodus chapter 3 that he saw this bush burning but it wasn't burned up. And it started his curiosity, so he went over there to it. Let me read it to you. There's a phrase here I really like. Exodus 3, Now Moses kept the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God, even to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush, and he looked, and behold, the bush burned with fire, and the bush was not consumed. Now, Moses had no idea that the angel of the Lord was in that bush, okay? Moses saw a bush burning, and it wasn't burning up. It just kept burning and burning and burning. And Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. What's he saying? 
I'm curious what's going on over there. So he went over there out of curiosity, and you know what happened after that. God revealed himself to him out of the burning bush, said, take off the shoes of your feet. This is holy ground, and on and on and on, right? And what did he do? He just turned aside out of curiosity. I believe there's a lot of people in the kingdom of God today and in the past and in heaven will know that just out of curiosity got exposed to the gospel in Christ and guess what? The Lord saved me. I've heard some of those things. You know, I, I, in fact, I can relate to some of it. I had opportunities, young man, one time to go to a certain church to just out of curiosity to see what was going on. Changed my life. I was already a Christian. But just, it had to do with the church organization and so forth. And, and I went there to see about, you know, just curious about how they'd organize the church. And I heard things and saw things that, I heard things that changed my life. Truth of God's Word. So again, God can use that, even human curiosity, to bring people to Him. What about Zacchaeus in the New Testament? Same thing. Zacchaeus wasn't seeking salvation. Zacchaeus wasn't seeking truth. Zacchaeus was a criminal, an embezzler. He would be like a filthy IRS agent, about what he would amount to. He was rich. He made himself rich over fleecing others through taxes. But guess what? He heard about this guy, Jesus. It was the news of the day. And he wanted to see him, but he was too short to see him through the crowd, so he climbed up in a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Just a curiosity seeker. And you know the story. <laughs> what started out as curiosity ended up a salvation in his house. The Lord came straight to the tree, called him down, went to the house with him. He was saved. He proved it by giving up restitution of what he had stolen and so forth. Just curiosity seekers in that regard. Isn't it amazing that God can and does do things like that? Again, they didn't come for the right reasons, but the fact that they came, God used it. She's coming to prove him, to test him, to see if it's really so. Skeptical, curious, doubtful. Doesn't believe it. Got to see it to believe it. Said, she said, I didn't believe it till I saw it. Had to experience it, so forth. This is the story of so many sinners. And likewise, skepticism. Let me deal with this quickly and we'll have to stop right here. Or we probably won't get through this. But again, I'm going to deal with the Bible now. The skepticism and doubts that came with the person of Jesus. All right? Even Christians, some of John the Baptist's followers, excuse me, were skeptical about Jesus. If you want to read it with me, we'll look in John's Gospel, chapter 1. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 45 and 46, and we pick up the story here after... uh, Peter and Andrew have been called by Jesus in the previous verses. And it says in verse 44, now, or 44, uh, 45, 
Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip saith unto him, Come and see. About the same thing we've got in our text. I'm going to go and see, because I just don't believe. You know? These were believers in Jesus already, but they hadn't seen him. They were disciples of John because that's all there was there at the time till Jesus showed. So again, the same skepticism was even with them at that time. Just, just a brief point to make. And then if you want to turn over to uh, the uh, book of Luke chapter 4. Uh, let's go to Matthew 13. I want to read Matthew 13 first and then we'll make a comment from Luke 4. Matthew chapter 13, about verse 54, we see the community in which Jesus was raised. Now, if anybody ought to have known Him, they should have known Him, shouldn't they? I mean, He was raised in their midst. But they were skeptics and doubters. As the text says. Matthew 13 reading at verse 54. And when he was coming to his own country, he taught them in their synagogue insomuch that they were astonished and said, Whence hath this man this wisdom these mighty works? Is not this the carpenter's son? Is this not his Mary called, mother called Mary? And his brother James and Joses and Simon and Judas and his sisters? Are they not all with us? Whence then hath this man all these things? And they were offended in him. And when we read this in, Matthew, in Luke's Gospel, chapter 4, the details are given to us there. In verses 16, it literally says, He came to Nazareth, his own country, his own town, where he was brought up. Custom was, when in there read the Sabbath day, and he read from Isaiah 61, verse 1 and 2, The Spirit of the Lord upon me, etc., etc., closed the book, sat down, everybody looked on him, and he said in verse 21, this day is the scripture fulfilled in your ears. Notice verse 22. And all bear him witness and wondered at the gracious words which pursued out of his mouth. And they said, is that not this Joseph's son? Skeptics. Doubters. There was the word of life right in front of them, the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. They didn't believe it. This is the nature of sinners. It's the nature of all of us in that regard. Is to doubt, not believe, be skeptical, is it real, etc., etc., etc. we got time for another. Let's look at one more. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 and a similar wording here, so we'll get this in. Chapter 14, verse 1. At that time Herod the Tetrarch heard of the fame of Jesus and said unto his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And therefore mighty works do show forth themselves in him. Now think about that. Here's a sinner. Here's an unbeliever. Here's a king. And rather than believe Jesus is who Jesus is, he'd rather believe who Jesus is not, that he's somebody that died and come back from the dead. That's how hard it is for sinners to believe. They'll believe, and again, I can't help but think of evolution, you know, when I say this. I mean, imagine, this just blows my mind, but it enforces the point. 
of how people are dead in trespasses and sin and will not believe what God has said, that people will willingly believe that everything came from nothing rather than everything came from something. Nobody knows of anything that ever came from nothing. Everything we know come from something, and yet people will believe the lie rather than the truth. This is the nature of sinners. Be curious about it, be skeptical about it, be doubtful about it, but be unbelieving about what God has said and about His Son, Jesus Christ. Well, let me just wrap this up for today. There are other examples we want to go into, but we don't have time. But what we have in the Bible is, according to the Apostle John, the record that God gave of His Son. And if you don't believe the good news that God gave of His Son, which is the record God gave of His Son, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then John says you make God a liar. Your unbelief naturally defaults to making God a liar. I don't believe it. Okay, God lied then. God gave a record, you don't believe it, so God's lying or (laughs) somebody's wrong here, right? That's serious business. And how many people, let's go back, let's, let's go back to our text, shall we? And I'll read this and we'll close. How many people today, and we may bring this up several more times, how many people, solemnly now think with me, verse 6, how many people heard about Jesus through the gospel and yet would not believe whether it's in Christ's day, before Christ or after Christ, or even today, and are now at this moment and have been since their death in hell. And this is their testimony. The same thing the Queen of Sheba said while she was alive is what they're saying now in the torments of hell. Let me read it to you, verse 6. It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of his acts and wisdom. Howbeit, I believe not the words. We'll just stop right there. Everybody that's ever had the gospel preached to him or ever read the Bible and refused to believe and rejected it and went to hell is saying that right there, right now. It was a true report, but I chose not to believe it. You know, the bottom line is, and Jesus asked it in the New Testament, what will you do with Christ? That's an accountability every human being. If you've heard about Christ, what are you going to do with Christ? You're going to believe upon Him or reject Him? Well, if you reject Him now, you will come to believe upon Him in hell, let me tell you. Because then you'll know. It was a true report I heard of this place called hell, and now I know why I'm here. But I didn't believe it when I was there. Luke 16, the rich man had that testimony. What a terrible state to be in. If you're lost today, I pray 
that God would give you the grace and the ability and the conviction to believe upon His Son now, today, while there's time. Because when you leave this earth, you're going to find out the sad reality and truth that everything God said about Jesus was true. He's the only way of salvation. And except you repent, you'll perish. May God enable you to do that today if you're lost.